Well, our sermon text today will be the entire chapter of Genesis 15. You'll be so proud of me. I'm just doing one sermon. I wanted to do like nine, but we're just going to do one. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. Again, please give careful attention to the reading of the scriptures. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my, my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The word of the Lord. And again, our Lord and our God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for preserving it for us so that thousands of years later, we can not just be edified by it, but we can behold the mystery of the seedlings of the gospel being planted, starting to grow. So Holy Spirit, make us wise now concerning the things of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, 
We met Abram in the King's Valley following his great victory, and, and here we met Melchizedek, this strange and mysterious priest-king of Salem, and where he and his men, by the banquet laid for Melchizedek, were refreshed on bread and wine. And so obviously today we continue right on in Abram's journey here, and, and it's as if in this scene everyone who was just present in the valley vanishes from the valley. It's like the lights go down all around and just a spotlight is on Abram. And not Melchizedek, but the Lord comes out now. So after the king of Sodom, Melchizedek, now the Lord comes out to meet Abram, just one-on-one. And he meets him in a vision. And some of us are great appreciators of the great Puritan prayer book, the, the Valley of Vision. And perhaps we could even think of today as as Abram's valley of vision moment, because the Lord is going to give Abram two dramatic, faith-forging answers to a concern that, that Abram, the man of great faith, has about the Lord and about the promise that has been made to him that he's banked everything on. So Perhaps we can think of it this way, that God is going to confirm the promise that his offspring will inherit the land, Two ways, through cosmic counting and through the cutting of a covenant in this valley of vision. So broad overview there now to the text itself. So obviously verse 1 sets the whole stage for, for all of these things. It, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Two observations from this first verse that are significant. This is the first time in sacred scripture that the language of the word of the Lord coming to someone is used. It'll be used twice in this text. And this becomes the normative language for the prophetic season in the life of Israel. But the, the word of the Lord is coming to Abram. Who's the word of the Lord? I'll let you just dwell on that. Second, this is the first time that we see the Lord interacting with one of his saints via vision. And this becomes a vehicle that he'll use later on in Scripture in many places when he has something of great significance to impart. Second Corinthians 12, Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven, Acts 10, when the Lord is explaining to Peter that the Gentiles are now clean. It's in a vision. Of course, Isaiah 6, the throne room of heaven, the beginning of Ezekiel. So visions aren't uncommon, but this is the first time. And so this clues us in that the Lord is likely to give us some great revelation. Continuing on in verse 1, he says, Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Which means from the outset here, we know that Abram is apparently wrestling with some sort of fear or, or some sort of anxiety on the heels of his last Interaction, uh, interaction. The, the man of faith was, was not at peace for some reason. And this reminds us that Abram, though we could and should consider him an, an exemplar and a great hero of the faith, he was also very human. This is a, a very human moment in the life of Abram. He was a man with a nature like ours. And as the Lord encounters him, knowing his fear, it's really sweet that his first order of business, while he has a ton of huge things to get to, is to comfort 
It's to comfort the man of faith. He, he knows our frame. And so it's what he leads out with. Fear not, Abram. And he gives them two reasons to not fear, which are, are interesting. Perhaps it can help us understand what he was afraid of. First, first he says, fear not because I am your shield. And so why would he say that? <laughs> well, Abraham and 318 men had just by night whipped four huge armies. And now they're sojourning. Perhaps he's afraid that they're going to retaliate. I would be. <laughs> and so the Lord says, I am your shield. Remember that I am the one who has always protected you and who will protect you even now. Put not your faith, Abram, in the strength of your numbers. I am your shield. But what about the Lord promising his, a very great reward? That's the second reason to, to fear not. Why is that a means of comforting Abram? Well, perhaps, venturing a guess, last week, all the spoils of war from Sodom, he just gave back <laughs> to the king of Sodom out of righteous conviction, which was the right move. But man, after you walk away from a $10 million check, that was yours. Perhaps he's mauling that a little bit. Again, this is a bit of speculation. And so the Lord, perhaps, is reminding him that there is always blessing on the other side of obedience. That was not a very great reward had you grasped it. You have a very great reward because you were obedient. There's always blessing on the other side of obedience. A quick side note here. It's, it's worth noting, and this is important, we know that Abram already knew these things. Abram already knew these things. He, he knew God was his shield. That's the reason he had the victory. He knew God would protect him. Melchizedek even reminded him of that during the benediction last week. He already knew that. And the Lord had already promised him a very great reward, namely the entire land of Canaan. He already knew that his reward would be great. So the Lord was not giving him new information. Rather, he was calling Abram to believe what he already believed. And is that not 95% of the Christian life? To believe what we already believe, not so much gathering more information concerning God and the gospel, which, of course, we want to get more. We want to continue to learn. But that's not the bread and butter of the Christian life, which is believing more what we already believe, trusting more in what we trusted in yesterday. This is one of the reasons why we recite the creed each week. It's not because we've forgotten it. It's because it is strength building and faith building to hear the saints again say, this is what we believe. And the way we primarily do this is by every morning, like Abram, Receiving the word of the Lord, letting scripture wash over us again and again, not just to get new insights, but so that we can believe what we already believe, that, that we can hear from God again say, in Christ, this is all that I am for you. And, and in Christ, this is what's in store for you. We need to believe that again, just like Abram did. So this is how the Lord begins this vision, but then in verse 2, we see Abram respond, and this is the, the first time Abram has actually spoken, spoken to God in his journey. 
but lots of firsts in this section, and this is another important one. And we see that, that he's going to express what his, his deepest point of concern is. And it's this, that he is still childless. So that as it stands now, he has no biological heir, and he's only getting older with each passing day. And this concern is, of course, understandable, because the entire promise of God to him that he has just banked everything on is contingent upon having a child. This will be, you will be a great nation. Your offspring will inherit the land. But the man whose name literally means exalted father doesn't even have a child yet. And if we were reading Genesis for the first time without knowing the ending, this would be our concern as well, because ever since Genesis 3, ever since the fall, we have been on the lookout for the seed of the woman who's going to crush the seed of the serpent. And so Abram's our guy. That This seed now has to come through him. But as of now, he remains childless. And every time he hears even his name, perhaps there's a sting associated with with that. And so here, verse 2, he, he pours out this cry of his heart to the Lord. This is similar to the psalmist in Psalm 13 who says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Did you know that you're allowed to pray that prayer? More than that, did, did you know that God wrote that prayer so the saints would know how to pray during hard times? That is cr incredibly encouraging. I love John Calvin's comment on this bit. He said, we see that the Lord permits us to pour into his bosom those cares by which we are tormented and those troubles with which we are oppressed. And this is what Abram does here. And the beautiful thing about the prayers of the saints is our Father doesn't just hear us, but our Father actually responds to us. The great picture in Revelation, perhaps 14, maybe not, of the prayers of the saints ascending with the incense to the very throne room of God. And then he responds to the prayers. Psalm 145, 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry. He hears their cry and he saves them. And now as our text turns, we see that the Lord heard Abram loud and clear. And still probably within the context of this divine vision, he's now going to respond. And he does so not merely by telling him that he's going to have a child and giving him a calendar date for that, but he does by filling his mind and his heart and his eyes with wonder of his glorious creative power. And, and so we see in the text that, that he leads him outside of his tent. And there Abram sees the sky that would be free from light pollution. Just beaming and beaming with, with stars. Millions of stars. I remember camping in Death Valley back in 2014. And I was hoping to photograph the Milky Way while I was there, but by the time I went to bed, it hadn't rotated into place yet. And so I, I went to bed amazed at Death Valley, but disappointed in not getting that picture. And that was until about 3 a.m. 
when perhaps a divine holy wind blew through the valley and I got really cold. And so I got up to go get my hoodie out of my car. I was super cool back then. And uh, I walked out of the tent in the entire Milky Way, just spanned the sky in a way that I had never seen. So glorious. And I have the picture to prove it. And I envisioned that scene as I think of Abram with his fretful eyes lifting them to the heavens and hearing the Lord say, why don't you try to count those, Abram? Kids, have you ever tried to count all the stars in the sky? Probably not, because there's billions of them, and you can't, and that's, that's the point. What an imprint that sight and those divine words must have left on that patriarch's heart. I'm going to steal from Calvin again here because he says it so well. He says, the sight of the stars was not superfluous, but God intended to strike the mind of Abram with this thought. He who by his word alone suddenly produced a host so numerous by which he might adorn the previously vast and desolate heaven. Shall he not be able to replenish my desolate house with offspring? And we know that the Lord's metaphor hit its mark in Abram because the very next verse we find perhaps the most important verse for understanding the gospel in all of the Old Testament. 15.6, and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So why was Abram righteous in God's eyes? Not because he proved himself in battle, not because he had built a hundred altars. It was because of his trust in what God was revealing to him. It was because of his faith in all that God promised up until that point. And this is the gospel. We cannot ever be made righteous by our works any more than we could ever reach the moon with a ladder. We can only be made righteous in ourselves by being united to the righteous one. Jesus Christ. And that can only happen not by trying really hard, not by white-knuckling onto Christ. You cannot do that. You can trust Christ. You can believe in Christ. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ. And he becomes yours. He becomes your treasure. He becomes himself your very righteousness. So that when God sees you now, marvel of marvels, you look to him as righteous, as the Son of God. And so what we get in seedling form here about the gospel becomes the cornerstone in the New Testament for understanding, understanding the gospel. Perhaps the, the clearest place is Romans 4, 2 and 3. It says, For Abraham was justified, excuse me, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So in this epic scene, in the brilliant light beneath 10 billion stars, God reconfirms the promise to Abram and he clarifies the gospel for us. And we might think that this is enough revelation for one vision, but the Lord is not done with Abram yet. He has more grace to pour out in this incredible vision because Abram still desires some sort of confirmation. He says in verse 8, Oh Lord, how am I to know, though? It looks amazing, but how do I know that I shall possess it? And the Lord says, Okay, I'll show you. 
So he has Abram gather up some animals, including a heifer and a female goat and a ram. And he tells Abram to cut them, literally cut them in half, and then flay them open. And so Abram does this bloody work. And so this is bizarre. What's, what's actually going on here? Because if for the first time reading this, this is new for us. He says, and things get even stranger, verse 12, as the sun was going down now, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And this word for deep sleep is interesting here. The, the other time that we've seen this only so far is in, is in Genesis where Adam was put into a deep sleep so that Eve could be formed out of his side, out of his rib. And, and so this is a significant moment. This, this is all meant to captivate our attention as the reader and to cue us in that God is about to reveal something else of great significance here. And he does. Two great things are communicated. First, the reason that this dreadful darkness came upon Abram, apparently, is because darkness must come upon his seed as well. And it will come by 400 years of slavery, which looks ahead to Egypt. And However, in the next verse, he essentially prophesies Exodus chapter 7 through 15 in microcosm here. We get the plagues on Egypt. We get Israel's exodus. We even get the, the plundering of the Egyptians on their way out, all recounted in the text. And then we get the book of Joshua anticipated as the Lord reveals that Israel would come back to the promised land both to take possession of it and to be an instrument of judgment upon the foes of God. All of that is here. And then Abram learns that he will live a long, full life. But he also learns that his life is just act one of the long story of redemption that the Lord is working out here. And with that, the word of the Lord ends to Abram. But then something else very strange happens here. Verse 17, it said, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, so darkness and darkness and darkness, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, the, the pieces of meat. So you have this flayed, bloody, raw meat open and smoke and fire move between them. Now again, we haven't seen this before. This is perplexing, but verse 18 explains what this whole bloody ceremony actually was about. It says, on that day, the Lord, the word literally is cut a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. So the Lord showed Abram how glorious the promise was in the stars, but now he goes further. And he essentially signs his name on the dotted line in blood by cutting a covenant in this valley of vision. See, in ancient times, when you made a covenant with somebody, you would sacrifice these animals, cut them open, and then the parties would pass between them, essentially to say, if I break this covenant, let this happen to me. It was a graphic portrayal, let me be slaughtered. If I don't keep my word here. However, notice that Abram didn't pass through it here. The only thing that went through it is smoke and fire. Hmm. That's random. Was that just laying around? The Lord said, let's just make that. Of course not. 
Do you remember the way that the Lord appeared to Israel after the Exodus? So he had just given all this Exodus imagery in the vision about what's to happen, and then this passes through. Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And so this is a picture of Yahweh passing through the meat here. This is God himself ratifying the covenant that he just made. This is God himself saying, the redemption of my people will happen. The promised land will be theirs because and only because I am the covenant-keeping God who is faithful to a thousand generations. And this is also God himself saying, and let the curse then fall upon me if my people break the covenant. Which, of course, we've all done. We have all rebelled against our God. So we know this is not just a hypothetical moment. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, as part of our stories, were idolaters. We were all covenant breakers. And and that's why we, who have the benefit of being 4,000 years removed from this strange and sacred ceremony... Again, we know that our Lord isn't speaking hypothetically. This was not a mere ritual. Rather, this was foreshadowing the cross of Jesus Christ, where the Lord Jesus, the Yahweh of Israel incarnate himself, the same word of God that appeared in the text today, would have his body torn and his flesh rent through the scourging and through the nails through his hands and through the spear that split him open. For covenant breakers like us. And why did our Lord do this? So that we could be set free. So that we could be set free from the slavery that was upon us through our sin and through Satan and through ourself and through the righteous judgment of God that once stood before us had Christ not accomplished that. But he did this so that the covenant curse would now be broken and the price would be paid And we would be led out of our Egypt into the kingdom of light. And we would be reborn and remade. And through our union with Christ, we now would be counted the perfect covenant keepers in the sight of God Almighty. Perfectly righteous. And this great double imputation where our sin was imputed to Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. This is a gift that is given to us. That is ours through faith and faith alone in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great fulfillment of Genesis 15. And I'll give the writer of Hebrews now the last word from chapter 10, where he brings these pieces together beautifully for us. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And our Lord and our God, 
We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ.